you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Hi, I'm Chloe. There we go. <laughs> um, we'll be reading from 1 Peter. We're in chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honour everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Chloe. Uh, well, one of the, the great things about being part of a, a larger church where we have uh, multiple pastors who can be called on to preach is that whenever there's a, you know, a particularly difficult passage that comes up, uh, you can just roster someone else on to preach that week. Uh, and so that's why I'm here this morning. Hey, how about we, uh, how about we pray? Again, would you join me? Gracious Father, we... Uh, we thank you for your word. Uh, we know that it is your word and that it is true and that it is faithful. Uh, and so, Lord, we come that as we, as we open it up, Lord, uh, may you give us ears to hear. Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us tongues to taste your beauty and your glory? Lord, would you just do the, the miraculous work of, of, of transforming our hearts and minds? Lord, and I pray that uh, it's whatever it is that I might have to say this morning, that it will be well-pleasing in your sight. And we pray these things in the mighty, mighty name of our Lord and Saviour, and all God's people said, Amen. Uh, well, I was a teenager in what was arguably uh, the greatest decade of music, the 90s. Now, admittedly, there were some low points, uh, the Venga Boys, uh, Spice Girls, uh, and <laughs> Mariah Carey. Oh. But it was a great decade for live bands, and particularly Australian bands. Uh, and one of my favourite bands was the Melbourne punk rock band, The Living End. Yeah. Uh, they had their, their first kind of breakout song was called Prisoner of Society. Uh, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've sung it at the top of your lungs, uh, but the words kind of really struck a chord with the youth of the 90s. Well, we don't need no one to tell us what to do. Well, yes, we're on our own and there's nothing you can do, and so we don't need no one like you to tell us what to do. And then it goes on. And I'm a brat, and I know everything, and I talk back. And I'm not listening to anything you say. And if you count two, three, 
There we go. Uh, but this, this song just captures so well this issue that we have with authority, and it, and it captured it so well in that time, and it just kind of resonated with the, the youth and the, the teenage angst in the late 90s. But the, the reality is that, that we all don't really like authority. We, we don't like being told what to do, and, and we, we hate the idea that we might have to actually uh, submit to someone else. And so this is, this is not just a, a youth of the, the 90s thing, but this is a human thing. And so our issue with authority actually goes all the way back to Genesis 3, with Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and, and God laying the rules for what they are to do. And so here, Peter is writing to a, a group of early Christians who, who in many ways actually lived in a similar kind of time to us, a time where there was, there was increasing social pressure against Christians, but, but there isn't quite yet a, a full-on, you know, state-sponsored persecution. And, and so they're grappling with this question of authority. And how is it that we were to live as Christians in a culture where those who are in authority increasingly use their authority in unfair and unjust ways? And so in the first kind of one and a bit chapters, that Peter has been, has been spending just a lot of time establishing who they are in Christ, that they are uh, elect exiles, that they have been born again, that they are living stones being built up into a spiritual house, that they're a, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation. And, and after he's laid that foundation, he's, he's spoken kind of then more generally about what it means about how they are to conduct themselves on this basis of their union with Christ, that they are to be holy, to, to have their souls purified for obedience, and that, that God has called them to himself for his purposes, that they may proclaim the excellencies of him who called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light, these amazing truths. And so the, the question that Peter starts to answer then is, is what the, does, does it then look like to live as exiles in a world to which we don't belong, to, to a world that isn't actually a home, to a world that we are just passing through. And if our, our primary allegiance is to, to Christ, and we're just sojourners and aliens here, then, then what are we to make of all these uh, human structures of authority? And so Peter spends this next section of his letter unpacking what this looks like. And so he looks at three, three kind of spheres of authority. Uh, the state and the government, uh, the, the workplace and employment, and then in the home. And those second two that we're going to be looking at in the next couple of weeks, and today we'll be looking at state and government. And in particular, he's addressing spheres of authority that, that aren't Christian, that, that aren't even sympathetic to Christian or, or where there's, you know, general goodwill towards Christian or there's, there's not even like a, a sense, of, sense of just kind of apathetic tolerance towards Christians. No, no, he's, he's speaking into context where there's this, this growing hostility towards Christians and to Christianity. Now, I, I tend to think that if I was preaching this sermon two and a half years ago, uh, it might have, you know, kind of hit home in a bit of a different way because... 
we've never seen a time, I've never seen a time in my lifetime where uh, the government has actually had just, you know, such an incredible say and impact on, on how we live and what we can do day to day. I haven't seen that as much as we have in the last two years. And so that means that we've all had kind of various opinions and, and convictions to varying degrees, you know, about our authorities, uh, about those who, who govern our state and our country and how we are to live. So this text is going to be a fun one, isn't it? But what we're going to see in this text is, uh, first, we'll see our problem with authority. Then we'll see what is to be our posture towards our authority. And then God's purposes as we submit to human authority. Sound fun? You all look very excited. Number one, our problem with authority. Verse 11, Peter says this. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. So verse, verses 11 and 12 here, they, they kind of act as a bridge between these two sections, bridge between uh, everything he's said before about who they are and how that is to work out in their lives generally, and to this next section where he starts explaining more specifically about authority. But he knows that we're probably not really going to like what he has to say. Because he, he knows that, that we all have a problem with submitting to authority. Because because at the heart of our, our sinful nature is, is just this deeply ingrained rebellion. And, and so we need to realize that when we uh, approach these things, and as we approach what the Bible says about these things, that there, there will often be a, a war in our soul. Uh, there'll be a war against our soul, and it's waged by our desires for autonomy, our desires for, for power, our desires for, for, for comfort, for independence. Because at the end of the day, we, we like to think that we're, we're our own so- sovereign and we don't really like being told what to do. And so perhaps how many of you, when, uh, as this was, this was being read out by Chloe, that when she said, uh, be subject to the emperor, that at the moment, you know, your inter- internal lawyer kind of popped up and said, objection, objection, your honour. Uh, well, what about, and you started thinking through all the, the various times when maybe it doesn't really apply and you shouldn't obey. I mean, I know, it's what, it's what I think about whenever I hear this. I think there should be kind of some kind of footnote that we should see at the bottom of the page that kind of lists all the exceptions. Uh, and you guys are, um, are probably just as sinful as I am. Uh, but I know, for most of us here, I believe, you know, we love the Bible, Yeah. Uh, if, if you're with us and you're not a Christian and you're, you're not sure what the Bible says, and hey, I'm so glad that you are with us. Uh, but for many of us, we're, we're here, we, we love the Bible. We, we thoroughly believe that this is God's Word. And in it, He tells us how we are to live. And, and yes, and amen, and we want to obey His Word. But then sometimes when we read passages like this that actually get into the nitty-gritty and tell us actually how to live, it kind of bristles up against us, doesn't it? I mean... You know, no, no one has this as the life verse, do they? I mean, no one's got 1 Peter 2.13, uh, be subject to the emperor, you know, on some wall art that they picked up from Kurong on their wall. I mean, if you, you, you know, you go back a few verses to verse 9, you know, definitely. 
You know, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. I mean, you know, slap that on a mug. And so we, you know, we, we can love the, the first chapter and a half of 1 Peter, that, but then Peter knows he's going to say a whole bunch of stuff that when we actually start to apply that, it, it can easily rub us the wrong way. And even as Bible-believing Christians, we're not going to like it. And so what does he say? Well, he goes after our hearts, doesn't he? He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Peter knows this war of the soul all too well. There was a time uh, uh, when, when tensions were at their highest between Jesus and the disciples and the religious leaders and the authorities. And this tension had been building and everything was coming to a head. And, and so the, Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're all together in this garden and a band of soldiers turn up to arrest Jesus. And so what does Peter do? He pulls out his sword and takes the guy's ear off. Now let's think about this for a moment. When you're swinging a sword like that, right, you're not aiming for the ear. Am I right? You're trying to take the guy's head off. Right? You know, maybe the guy kind of ducked, or maybe Peter was just a bit of an unco with the sword and wasn't a great swing. But, but regardless, Peter was trying to decapitate the guy. And how does Jesus respond? Well, he, he, he picks up the ear. He puts it back on. And heals one of the guys who continues to arrest him and take him away to be killed. See, no doubt, Peter believed that he was just trying to be faithful to Jesus. That in, that in wielding his sword against the authorities, that he was, he was doing the right thing by Jesus. See, Peter knows all too well the, this problem that we have with human authority. He, he knows the desires that are waging war against his soul. And so even when he was convinced that he was doing absolutely the right thing and was, was just and was for Jesus, he can be wrong. But here, you know, after you know, about 30 years later of Peter following Jesus, Peter says, and God says, that we are to obey the government. Now, now we might not have a, a, a sword over our shoulder, but we can have that lawyer on our shoulder, uh, you know, jumping and shouting out objections because, because our propensity will be to, to jump first and, and try and find those exceptions, those, those times when we shouldn't obey the government. And so we'll say, objection. Well, well, what about if it's unjust? What about if the laws are unfair or they're just kind of inconvenient? But what we need to notice is that when we look at this passage, nowhere in it does Peter address civil disobedience. I mean, the, the, the passage is literally about civil obedience. That doesn't mean that there's, there's not a time for that, but, but, but Peter's concern here is that as Christians, the, the general overriding rule is that we are to obey and to be subject to the governing authorities. And so if our instinct is just to, you know, kind of go to gloss over that command and, and, and rather than thinking, well, you know, how 
how do I need to be joyfully obeying the Word of God here? How, how is it that I need to, to change and, uh, and submit to the authorities in a way so that I can better bring glory to God? If, if, if you want to just kind of push that aside and, and, and jump straight to the exceptions and think about those times it doesn't apply, then you probably need to consider how the passions of your flesh are waging a war in your soul and whether or not you're losing that war. That's why it says, verse 16, it says, live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Living as servants of God. So if we're, if we're free in Christ and we are to be servants of God, then, then what is our posture meant to be towards authority? Number two. A posture towards authority. Verse 13 is, again says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Uh, so the word here for uh, human institution refers to uh, creatures or to humanly created things. Or basically, the, the systems and structures of authority that have actually been created by people and are fulfilled by people. And so perhaps our initial thought would be, well, well, if, if, if governments and those in authority, if, if, if all of that is just human invention, then, then, then why should I have to follow it? I mean, I, you know, I submit to and I obey God, not man. But then what does, what does God's Word say? Well, it says, be subject to. Or, or some translations will say, submit to. And why is it that we are to submit to them? It says, for the Lord's sake. Or some translations simply say, just because of the Lord. And so the, the reason is, the reason that we are to obey the injunctions of the governing authorities is, is ultimately out of reverence to and submission to the Lord Jesus. And now this is you know, absolutely essential to the text, and so we'll, we'll come back to it a bit later and unpack that a bit more. But, but from these verses, I just want to kind of highlight three things. One of the first things we see in verse 14 is that it, that it gives us a, a kind of a biblical theology of government. That is God's purposes for the governing authorities. And so, so although the governing authorities are things that have been put in place by people, God's purposes for them in the world is, as it says, is to punish evil and to reward good. And so this is one of, one of the aspects of God's common grace in the world. It's, it's how law and order is to be maintained. And so the degree to which governments are doing that for the good of the people is the degree to which they are fulfilling God's purposes for them in the world. In fact, Paul, Paul makes this really explicit in Romans 13, verse 1. He says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so at the end of the day, we see that all authorities are answerable to God. The second thing we see is that those positions of authority are filled by people. Now that might kind of seem fairly obvious to us, but in Peter's day, that the emperors were to be worshipped as divine, as gods. 
And so one of the reasons why there was this kind of growing and uh, animosity towards Christians from the authorities is because they, they rightly refused to worship the emperor as divine. And so when Peter says that we have to be subject to every human institution, whether the emperor as supreme, he's saying, yeah, yeah, the, the, emperor's, the emperor is the, the highest authority here, but he's not a god, he's, he's, he's just a dude. He's just a person, so don't worship him as divine. The third thing we see is that that there's actually various levels and spheres of human authority that we are called to submit to. And so he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. And so when Peter says uh, every human institution, what he really means is every human institution. And so for that, it means that there's, you know, various levels of government, there's federal and state, and there's, you know, local councils that all have their various jurisdictions. And then there's the, there's the police and law enforcement, and dare I say it, parking inspectors. There's uh, road rules and there's speed limits. There's, there's teachers, there's a tax office. And what that means is that by, by and large, Christians are called to be good citizens in every sphere. And so we're called to obey the law, to, to pay our taxes honestly, to obey the road rules. You know, they're, they're speed limits, not speed suggestions. We are to obey and respect our, our teachers and our lecturers in every sphere of life. Uh, this past Monday night, uh, I was playing uh, a game of baseball. I played in an over 38s league. Uh, and we're in the, the very last inning of the game, and we're up by one run. Uh, and it was against, you know, a club that's kind of, you know, like the arch rival of our club. So, you know, it's always good to, to, to get a win over them. But there's a, a time limit to the game, because it's at night, we kind of run out of light. Uh, and so all we needed to do was to get the other team out, uh, and then we would have won. So just get three out, and we'd win. But if we didn't, get them out in time, then the, the, the score would revert and go back to the previous innings, and at that point, we're actually behind, and so we would lose. Uh, unfortunately, I was pitching for our team, mainly because most of our pitchers either had COVID uh, or were injured, because we're all old. Uh, and so there's a sense it was uh, riding on my shoulders, or riding on my pitching shoulder, at least. Uh, but it was good. We got the first two outs, and so we're one out away from winning the game. Uh, and then just as I threw a, a really nice curveball for strike one, I hear from the umpire behind me, uh, it's getting too dark, guys, time and game. In that moment, my, the game is over, my heart sank, my shoulders dropped. We didn't get that last out, and so we lost. And right in that moment my Christian witness is on the line. See, whether or not I actually believe the Bible and have the faith to obey is on display. And so do I, do I arc up at the umpire and, and, and try to argue his decision? Come on, like, just let us finish the game. Or do I you know, kind of begrudgingly accept it and, and, and then walk off into the dugout and, and bag out the umpire with my teammates about how bad a call it was? Or do I joyfully submit to his decision as to the Lord. 
And, and so regardless of, of whether or not I think the cord's the right call or if it's fair or just or if it's influenced by favoritism to the other team because the umpire was supplied by the other team, then my position, my, my posture is to be one of, to authority, is to be one of submission. And not one of begrudging submission, but submission for the Lord's sake. And so you might raise the objection, well, a bunch of old has-beens playing a game that no one cares about uh, in the backwoods of the eastern suburbs of Melbourne on a Monday night uh, is kind of really pretty insignificant. And I agree. Uh, but what about when it's not just you know, a volunteer umpire who's made a, a, a bad decision, but when it's the government? What about when they're making bad decisions? Or, or, or there's laws that are unfair and unjust? Or, or what if I just you know, simply disagree with and, and, and don't like those laws because they actually really inconvenience me? You know, what, if, what if I didn't vote for the guy? You know, hashtag not my premier. Hashtag not my prime minister. Well, if you think about it, Peter, he didn't write this in a, in a cultural and political vacuum. No democracy. I can guarantee that, that Peter didn't get to vote for the emperor. There wasn't, you know, an upcoming election where they could, you know, finally vote the bad guy out and get somebody in better. You know, no one was democratically elected. And when Peter wrote this, there wasn't, you know, as we said, there wasn't yet full-scale kind of state-sponsored persecution of Christians, but there was this, just this increasing social disdain and animosity towards believers. And so it was becoming harder and harder to, to just to live as a Christian, in many ways like it is in our culture today. The emperor at the time, he was a guy by the name of Nero, uh, perhaps you've heard of him. Apparently, this is what he looks like. Uh, and as we mentioned, the emperors at the time expected uh, to be worshipped as divine. Uh, and Nero actually turns out that uh, he turns out to be one of the, the top kind of draft picks for psychopathic leaders of all time. Uh, contemporary sources that describe him as uh, tyrannical and self-indulgent and debauched. Uh, he likely murdered his own mother. Uh, quite possibly his own wife, and he actually married a young boy whom he had castrated to try and turn into a woman. Uh, in the coming years, uh, there would be a, a massive fire that burned through Rome, and, and many believed and suspected that, that Nero himself was actually responsible for it. And so in trying to like, deflect uh, suspicion from himself, he actually blamed it on the Christians and then use that as an excuse to have them just executed in, uh, in atrocious ways. So he would have them uh, indiscriminately and just mercilessly crucified like Jesus. Uh, during gladiator matches, he would have them thrown to the lions. And there's even reports of uh, he, him using their bodies and lighting them on fire to be human torches to light up his own garden parties. Tacitus, who was a historian at the time, he says that in all this, Nero, he wasn't, he wasn't motivated by any sense of justice, but his only, only his personal pleasure that he got out of inflicting such cruelty. And so although these, these events was what was yet to come, and, the, and that will happen in the next decade, Peter, Peter, this is the guy that Peter says that we, he is to, we are to submit to. 
In fact, Peter himself, just a few short years later, was crucified under the reign of Nero. Now, within these verses, I think there is actually the implication of civil disobedience. Uh, and so if, you, if your response is, oh, finally, we're getting to the good stuff, then, well, check your heart. But there is an implication here of civil disobedience. I mean, if we are to obey for the Lord's sake, then, it, then it's hard to imagine doing anything out of obedience to the government that would be against what, the God, what God has commanded us to do. And so one of those is, you know, don't, don't worship the emperor as God. He's just a creature. And so I believe that there, there are becoming just more and more times, more and more moments, where, when civil disobedience may well be the right thing to do. I have no doubt about that. But the, the Bible is also clear that, that no human authority is actually going to be perfect. That, that, that all, way, all human authorities, are, they're not always going to be fair and just. They're, they're, they're not always going to command what is right. And, and so when Scripture commands us to obey... It does so knowing full well that every single human institution that we are called to submit to is actually fundamentally flawed because it's a human institution. That it's, that it's something that's been created by and fulfilled by people who are inherently sinful and fundamentally flawed. And so that, that means that even though there might be laws that if we were to obey that we would be sinning against God and, and therefore we shouldn't obey those ones, it doesn't mean that we are just to free to disobey any law that we, uh, that we personally find to be unfair or unjust or even just inconvenient. And so there's been, you know, we've, in many ways we've thought a lot of that over the last few years, haven't we? You know, many laws and mandates that to various degrees we've, we've found to be kind of, you know, unfair or unjust or, or just kind of ridiculous, and redundant, don't make sense or nonsensical. And it is wrong for, for governments to, to impinge on and, and target the, the rights and freedoms of Christians. But, but that's not the same as commanding us to stop preaching the gospel. And so one of the ways that's played out for us is, is over the last few years, we haven't always been able to, to gather as a church as we'd like, right? There's often been limitations on what it looks like for us to, to do that, and those limitations actually still apply for us now. And we should, and they're an inconvenience. And we should grieve those times that we can't do exactly what we like to do. But, but those things are not the same as prohibiting us from preaching the gospel. This doesn't mean that we, we should just keep quiet and not have any kind of voice and, and not speak up when things are unfair and are unjust. Absolutely we should. And so we should... We should write letters and we should sign petitions and we should meet with politicians and we should advocate for change. But, but the reason Peter says that we are submit to and have a posture of deference to the governing authorities is ultimately because of God's purposes for us and for the world in that. So number three, God's purposes as we live under human authority. Verse 12, it says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable. So when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Well, in verse 15 it says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you shall put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And so at the time, uh, there were actually kind of many myths and misconceptions about uh, what Christians did and what they actually believed. 
Uh, so they were accused of being atheists because they didn't have idols and they didn't, they didn't worship the pantheon of Greek gods. And so everyone thought they were atheists. Uh, people thought they were cannibals because they always had these celebrations where they would eat uh, the, the body and drink the blood of a human, what we do in communion. Uh, people also, also thought they were incestuous because they'd call one another brother and sister and then get married. Uh, and, and so, uh, because of their incestuous, cannibalistic atheism, they were accused of being evildoers. And so, there was a whole bunch of just kind of ignorance and foolishness around what Christians really did and what it is that they believed. And so, time and time again throughout the letter, Peter is, is constantly exhorting them to do good, be, be doers of good, to live honourable lives, even when... They're being treated unfairly and unjustly. So that by the way that they lived their lives, by the way that they treated one another, by the the good that they did, by the way that they loved and served others, and the way that they conducted themselves as good citizens, how they would show honour to authorities, even when those authorities were dishonourable, that in that, that their lives would serve as an apologetic to show that they're not evildoers at all. But in fact, that their lives would have the, the aroma of Christ. They would be like, what? A city that is set on a hill, whose, whose light shines for all to see. So that maybe when, when Christ returns, those people who thought they were evildoers will actually see that that what Christ says is true and that they too would glorify him. And so you can see that in this text, there's actually a, an evangelistic purpose to the command. And so when he says in verse 15 that, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, he's saying, don't give the world any legitimate reason to call you evil. Unfortunately, Christians have historically been really good at giving the world legitimate reasons for calling us evil. That's why he says, verse 16, to live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so in these hyper-political times, where, where many people and, you know, many of us, we have, you know, strong feelings and opinions about politics and, and state and federal leaders. Will this be true of us? Will we be known for our goodness? Or will we be known for our grumbling? I'm going to finish with verse 17. If others uh, examined your life, uh, if they you know, examined your words, if they examined your social media, would these things be true of you? Because, because no matter you know, what, what your political convictions might be, uh, these things here are, are non-negotiables. Verse 17, it says, honour everyone. And so do, we, do you show honour and respect to everyone? To all people? Or, 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 or do you tend to demonize those who disagree with you? It says, love the brotherhood. 
That is, that we are to have a, a special love and affection and, and grace and patience for your brothers and sisters in Christ, especially those who disagree with you on these things. Because relational unity in the church matters infinitely more to God than your political convictions. He says, fear God. And so if God ordained these imperfect and flawed institutions to govern us, and if you believe that God is actually absolutely sovereign over that, well, do you live like that? Do you live as if that is true? And he finishes, honor the emperor. And so remember that the emperor that he's talking about is Nero. So you can disagree and you can dislike and even at certain times disobey. But even when they're hell bent on your own destruction, we're called to show honor and not dishonor. And the reason that we can do this is because there's no earthly authority that is our ultimate authority. Jesus is over and above all of it. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And so Jesus is above and over all of it. That, that these things ultimately exist for him and his glory. And that we can be confident that one day that he will judge and bring justice to everything that is wicked and corrupt. And so when we, when we truly believe this to be true, that's when we're set free to live as servants of God. I'm going to take a few moments now to, to pray and just, just reflect on these words and what they might mean for us. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to, to reveal to us, how do we need to obey these words? How, how do we need to change how we live in light of the glory of Christ? It's going to take a few moments of silence and then I'll pray. Lord Jesus, we just want to spend these moments now recognizing that you are Lord of all. You, you do rule and you reign over all thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. For they exist by you and for you. So we want to submit ourselves again to you this morning. And so we ask that, that it as, as get just increasingly difficult to live for you in this world, that you would give us soft hearts to, to willingly and joyfully obey what you have commanded us to do here. Lord, if there's, there's areas where our hearts are hard and where we're rebellious, just by your grace and mercy, would you reveal them to us now so that we might turn and repent? And would you give us strength and confidence to live for you and to use the freedom that we have in you to serve you. 
Lord, we love you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.